All right, we're going to get started in our message today. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to finish chapter 6 off today. Um, and as you all know, I love my jokes. And I got jokes as well. I got a few today, actually. I'm going to start off with one. This one, you can actually thank Kelsey. She sent it to me earlier this week, and I was, or last week, and I was like, oh, I'm going to use that. And it's really, it's a joke, but it's also a truth. It's just the way it's said. It just makes it, I, I love it. I loved it. I laughed. And I was rejoicing at the same time. So here we go. The devil ain't nothing but a snake. The thing about snakes are they don't have any arms and they sure don't have any feet. And that's because Satan has been disarmed and defeated. Can I get an amen? Let's go. <laughs> come on. Come on. Oh, gosh. I honestly, I'm way, I feel like I'm way funnier than I actually am. But... It's all right. Hey, our topic today is worship. I got a pop quiz for you guys as we get started. There's, I got three sets of word, words, and I want to tell you them, and then you'll kind of pick which one you think fits best. Um, there's no really right or wrong particularly. It just kind of depends how you worship. But the first set of words is kneeling, silence, reverence, and tradition. The second set is singing, experience, music, and relevance. And the third set is presence, provision, pleasure, and priesthood. So which one would you say fits you best? We could all ask that question, you know, or, or the, just the question, how would most Christians answer this question today? And worship can look a number of ways. It honestly can. And, and most importantly, we need to recognize that we were made for worship. Just as Morgan said how, how his, the guy that attends his church right here during worship, I didn't plan this, he just said it. This is the Holy Spirit coming together. But just, just a perfect example right there is he uses his gifts of welding to bless churches and, and, and uh, that is an act of worship. So we're all made for worship. So whether we worship God, our own flesh, or things of this world, we're going to worship. So we got to check our hearts on what exactly are we worshiping, who are we worshiping, and we got to, if, if we realize our, our heart gets checked and we're worshiping all the wrong things, then we need to make a change. And the Holy Spirit will convict us of that and build us up uh, as, we, as we repent of that. But we do worship something. And I will say this, this message for, for me, it was it, I love worship. I'm, I'm never on stage, but... You don't have to be on stage to love worship, and you don't have to be on stage to be a worship leader by any means, right? So it's a worship focus, and, and as we get into 2 Samuel chapter 6, I believe what God has given us in these verses is a window on worship. Worship is one of those words that is easily pigeonholed. It's easily pigeonholed in Christian circles, but God wants to give us a big a big view of worship through his word today. And King David, as we've been reading about and, and studying and learning, King David of Israel, he's one of the best biblical teachers that we could have when it comes to this subject matter. The book of Psalms is, is considered the song book of Israel. And of there, of the 150 Psalms, there are 73 of which that David had actually written. And we know from the Psalms and from Samuel and from Chronicles that David was one of Israel's most prolific singer-songwriters. And most importantly, the content of those Psalms tells us that David not just worshipped in front of people, but he lived a lifestyle of worship. And as we look at this text, we will watch David more than we will hear David. 
I want you to consider with me what we can learn from David's actions in the passage about worshiping God. If we are followers of Jesus, if, if we have experienced his grace in our lives, then of all people, we should understand the importance of the topic of worship. And Jesus himself told a Samaritan woman that he met at the well in uh, John chapter 4, said, But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship, the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Wonderfully, Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to worship in this same way. And as we get into chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, we're going to start in verse 12 today. In verse 12, Starts like this. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he'd sacrifice an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of a trumpet. The first thing that we are reminded of here is that worship is about celebrating God's presence. Once David realizes the error of his ways and that he will not be blasted but blessed by the ark, he quickly acts to complete his original plan of bringing the ark to Jerusalem. We saw that in the last chapter, or the, the last week, or two weeks ago, actually. Last week was Father's Day, um, the beginning of chapter 6. But notice that the, the, the manner in which this movement takes place. Look at these words, the, the, the ones that I highlighted here. It was gladness, gladness, sacrifice, dancing with all his might, shouting and sound of the trumpets. These sounds, to me, like they're kind of having a little rave going on. They're partying a little bit. They're celebrating. That's exactly what, what's happening. They threw a, they're throwing a, basically David's throwing a party for Jesus. There, there's a lot of joy in the place, in the marketplace where they're at. And it, it's getting pretty lit, honestly. And if you know, you know, okay? You, you get it. And somebody walking by probably wondering, what is he high on? Like, what is he on right now? And little did they know, he's high on Jesus. And most of us are, right? And we aren't ashamed of it. But what are they celebrating exactly? Are they celebrating the relocation of a popular tourist item or some sort? Or the opportunity for Jerusalem to be a destination location? No, they are celebrating what the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, what it represents. They're celebrating the presence of of God among his people. And as Obed-Edom's household makes very clear, there is amazing blessing that comes when God dwells among his people. Listen up, church. Do you celebrate? Do you celebrate the way David celebrates? Do you celebrate like David? The presence of God. I'm not talking about the cultural expressions of, of ram's horns and dancing and animal sacrifice. But I, I want to pose this question to all of us today. Is your worship an expression of spiritual exertion 
and joyful celebration of God's presence in your life. I want to put into perspective, you meet a famous person, whether it's an athlete, an actor, actress, uh, an artist of some kind, it's, it's your favorite. And you, and you run into him, you meet him, you would be over the moon. You would be like, hey, can I take a selfie? Like, let's take a picture. Let's, you know, try to link up or whatever. And you would, you would probably be over the moon. Joy would be all over your face. And you would tell all your friends. And, and everybody would be able to see the joy on your face. And they'd be like, why are you so joyful? And they're like, oh, I just met so-and-so. That would be like if I went and met Justin Bieber. I know he's not like, you know, a, a Christian artist. I'm not even kidding. That's not even to be funny. I'm a, Justin Bieber is my guy. And he's actually a believer. Uh, and I'm a believer. <laughs> oh, I'm so funny. Okay, we're moving on. Uh... I didn't put that in my notes, so <laughs> it just kind of flew. Uh, anyways, you would, back to it, you would tell your f- friends, you would tell your family, you would boast about it. So if God's presence in your life is constant, then why would you want to suppress that joy and hold it back from sharing with those around you? Remember, the ark was only a symbol. It was only a symbol that pointed forward to this reality that we see in John chapter one. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. And we continue in verse 16. For all his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. Jesus is God among us. Because he dwelt among us, God's spirit now dwells within us. Let me remind you of this amazing promise from Jesus that we see in John 14. Maybe. Okay, here we go. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And when God the Father and God the Son make their home in your heart, through God the Spirit, you will be blessed far beyond what Obed-Edom's experience was with his family because of the ark. Look with me as we continue on in in, in, uh, verse 16, what we learn about uh, worship in this passage. Then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent, which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Verse 19, maybe. Hello? Can you help me out back there, Alex? All righty. Further, he distributed to all the people, to all the multitude of Israel, both to men and women, a cake of bread and one of dates and one of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. So what do we see here? That's a lot of text, right? What are we seeing? We learn or are really reminded of here that worship is about giving God's provisions. Now, verse 16 is is an important part of this passage. But let's talk about that verse when we look at the final verses of this chapter. And we're going to come back to it. 
But notice what we see here is that the ark, this ark procession reaches its destination finally. And when the ark is finally placed in the temporary tent, David has set up for it. The worship here is very clearly defined by giving, by, by gifts. And there are two kinds of gifts here. We read about David's gifts to God and David's gifts to the people. David is making offerings to God and is offering food to the people. And let's think about this. If the Ark of the Covenant represents God's special presence among his people, and if God's presence brings blessings to his people like Obed-Edom, then isn't it enlightening that David is showing how genuine worship always involves giving back to God and giving to one another some portion of what he has given to you. Now think about how this reminds us of our worship as followers of Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain for us. In Hebrews, we're going to have to skip by here. Alex, you following? There we go. All right, in Hebrews it says, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And in Philippians, right here, it says, uh, Fragrant. Aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, which is the financial gifts that we see. And then in Romans 12, calls us to offering our bodies as living sacrifices and a holy sacrifice, spiritual service of worship. When Paul gave instructions to the church in Corinth about their times of community or corporate worship, he wrote, he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And it's very easy to fall into the trap that worship somehow is mainly about us. It's mainly about me, you and I. Oh, sure, God is the one that we're praising, but I'm the one that's going to be having a worship experience. Yes, we can enjoy our blessings, but God is always calling us to turn those blessings around and bless. To bless his name and be a blessing to those around us. But there's something else here. Listen to the final four verses, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Starting with verse 20. But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said this. How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants' maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. The final thing we see here is this. That worship is about seeking God's pleasure. If we go back to verse 16, we see there that the writer of 2 Samuel has given us a second window on worship. But this window is literally a window. It's a, it's a literal window, not figurative. It's the window from which Michael watches David and the procession as they enter in to Jerusalem. We, we go back to verse 16 and we see how it points us forward to these verses that we're seeing now. 
We learn there that Michael's heart is filled with bitterness when she sees David. And when, she, and when we get to these final verses, we find that same bitterness, that same envy, as it spills out of her heart through her words. What is Michael's complaint? Like, what could she possibly be complaining about? I believe her bitterness comes from jealousy and, and, and envy, ultimately. David is living freely. He is rejoicing in the Lord, all that he has done for him. But she doesn't have that relationship that we see. So the enemy uses it, uses her to talk down to David, to try to discourage David. But he turns it right back to God to give him glory. She despises David because she believes he has acted, not like a king, but like some vulgar commoner, like some riffraff, or, or some would say a fool. He is jumping around, he is shouting, and he is wearing what, in her opinion, is completely inappropriate. But why, why is Michael getting so worked up about all of this anyhow? Why is everyone celebrating except for her? This is the only one that we are able to see that, that it's pointed out that she's not celebrating. She's the one standing against it. The language of verse 16 is crucial. We see how she is referred to. David is called King David, and she is called Michael, the daughter of Saul. He's not simply David, her husband, and she's not simply Michael, his wife. Well, his first wife. Now, Michael, she's been through a lot up to this point. There's no saying, like, you can't hide that. Yes, yeah, she's been through a lot. Like David, she has also suffered. At one time, she loved David. But then David's life was threatened. Michael helped him escape. And all those years that we've already read about, all those years of David being on the run, then she was given to another man to be his wife. And then David, he returns, and he decides he wants her back. So she's taken from now her second husband, to come back to David. And, then, and, and that was some like political wheeling and dealing of some sort that, they were, that was going on there. And she is now one of many wives to David. She's not just one wife and only wife. Now she's many. But her label here, Michael, the daughter of Saul. This is the key to understanding her heart ultimately. See, after Michael's father, Saul, that we've read about, is he he. he died a little while ago, but she always sought the pleasure of the people. Always. He wanted to look the part of a king, and he valued the, the public approval, the, the approval of those around him far too much, so highly that he was willing to actually reject God's commands. As David explains to her, his worship was not for the sake of any, any person in the processional, their opinions and her opinion, they don't really matter in, this, in, in, in the term of worship. In verse 21, we see that David danced, danced before Yahweh, celebrated before the Lord. You see, Michael misses the wonder of God's presence among his people because she is too worried about David doing it the right way, about what is proper. She's too self-absorbed. She's too concerned about what others may think. And two, defined by worldly categories, ultimately. But David's worship is driven by what is pleasing to God. He sings, he shouts, he dances, he sacrifices, he distributes, he blesses. He does all of it for God's pleasure. Is that what drives your worship? Honestly, it's easy to be a Michael in this situation. 
We see it, we see it every day. It's easy to distance ourselves and turn worship into something that only happens on Sundays. And then into something that has to be done just right when it comes to Sunday. Or else it's boring or stuffy or worldly or irreverent or whatever it may be. But worship is so much bigger than that. So much bigger. The view that we see, the bigness, the wide perspective of the lens of the word today that fuels our worship together on Sunday mornings and in our lives throughout the week. Today is day 21 of the challenge that I would given you guys 21 days ago. And it was to get into the word every single day for 30 days and watch the Lord work. Sit in the presence of God without having to look at the time. How soon can this be over? Like just sitting with him. And I've heard so many amazing things, so many praise reports. Like it's been incredible to see how, how you guys, how the church has answered, how you've responded, how you've taken up that challenge, and, and how the God is blessed. And I want to throw another challenge in for you today. As we finish off, we got nine days left of our 30-day challenge, and I want to and I want to finish strong. But I know that once we get through this challenge, it's going to be it's a lifestyle at this point, and I know that you're going to continue staying in it because you're seeing all these awesome things that that God is revealing to you. But for the next nine days, I want to challenge the people of the church, the body of Christ, to not listen to any secular music for the next nine days. Now, I know that's a big ass. You're like, well, shoot, like I just, what if I'm at a restaurant and they're playing music or whatever? Like personally, like when you're driving or going on walks, workouts, cooking, etc., whatever, whenever you would listen to music, I just want to challenge you just to, just to play worship music. Like I personally, I'm a fan of Jack Johnson, Tom Petty, Eminem, Justin Bieber. You already know, like I've listened to it all. But what I've realized is as my life has progressed and as my faith has grown in a relationship with Jesus, I have less of a desire to listen to that, honestly. And my worship has become a lifestyle more than just a Sunday morning thing when we listen to worship. And I want you guys there with, with me. I'm not up here saying I'm perfect and I, you know, I'm, I'm great, like, Y'all already know I'm a believer, so like I vibe with Justin Bieber. But I'm just saying, this is a challenge to you guys. And I, and I, I know the Lord will work through it, and it's going to shift our mindset. It's going to shift our heart of worship, and it's going to become a lifestyle of worship. And, and I want you to join me. And no shame at, at all if you don't or, or if you fail or, or if you just forget. Like no shame at all. But I just wanted to challenge you guys and prayerfully consider that. But what have we actually seen here this morning? We've seen that the flame of worship is sparked by a recognition and an appreciation of God's presence among us. And when we grasp who it is among us, we celebrate with a spiritual exertion. But that exertion also leads to giving. Just as we've received, we give back to God praise, service, money, even our whole body. And we also give to one another encouragement, blessings, love. And we do all that for God's pleasure. We live before an audience of one. 
and that is King Jesus. Romans tells us this. We have no problem being worshipers. What we cannot get right is the object of our worship. We are worship warpers. We are praise perverters. And Paul writes this in Romans 1, verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. But even in 2 Samuel chapter 6, there is a preview of something wonderful up ahead. Do you see Jesus in this passage? He's right there at the end of verse 14. Probably glanced right over it. David was wearing a linen ephod. The ephod itself was a piece of clothing, but it was a piece of clothing that is always associated in the Old Testament with priesthood. And in the overwhelming majority of cases in which the word is used with the priesthood of Israel. So why does the author point out what David is wearing and what Michael thought was, was not good and, and he shouldn't be wearing that? What do we see David doing here? We see him involved in the priestly working of offering sacrifices and blessing the people. And as our worship team comes back up and joins me up on stage today, I want to point out that David, he was the, from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi, which generally the priests came from. But remember the location. This is Jerusalem that we're talking about. David has just captured the city and made it his new capital. Now, before David, there's another king of Jerusalem. Uh, there's another king. His name, uh, Melchizedek. And interestingly, he is described as both a king and a priest of the Most High God. In 1 Samuel, I talked about prophet, priest, king. You could only be two. There's only one that is all three, prophet, priest, and king, and that is Jesus. So what we're seeing here is confirmation of that. Now, when we fast forward in the Bible to Psalm 110, we learn that a future king of Israel, one that David had actually wrote about, would in fact be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And did you know that Psalm 110.1 is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Hebrews 7, we see confirmation that Jesus is, is in fact that priest from the order of Melchizedek. He is the greatest of all priests. He is the perfect high priest for all who trust in his intercession. So David's ephod and, and David's worship point us to Jesus who lead us in worship. He leads us away from the empty worship of, of, of created things like money and power and sex and reputation and security and comfort and success. And he leads us to worshiping the creator in spirit and in truth. God has given us an amazing window on worship this morning. Where did God expose your flesh today? How will God use it in your life?
I'm going to invite our prayer team down this morning. And if in any way, shape, or form, you felt shame in how or who you worship, I want to call out right now that that is, that is, that is not of Christ. Christ didn't come to shame or condemn, but his spirit convicts. And we accept it and receive it this morning. And if there's anything going on in your life, whether it's worship related or, or anything else, or maybe you recognize this morning that you worship something that is not God, that has a higher authority in your life on the throne before, before Christ, then I invite you to come down and let us pray with you. We, we are a praying church, and we believe in the power of prayer. We're two or more gathered. There he is. And we're going to pray with authority, and we're going to speak identity over you. And as we enter into worship, guys, this last song, I really want to invite you to let your guard down. There's, there's no shame in how you worship at all. But I, I, I do invite you to let your guard down and just enter into the presence of the Lord. Holy Spirit is here. He's leading the way. He's at the very center of all that we do here at Life Church. And I just, I just, I just want to encourage you, encourage you this morning to enter into his presence with worship. Let's stand to our feet and we're going to worship this morning. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.